If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. That religion and the knowledge of it, the wisdom of it, and that great legacy that's basically been left to us by ancient people who had that knowledge. So we're meant to just forget about all that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. We are going to be chatting with Lara Atwood a little bit later about uh, sun religions, all the secret sun religions going around. I guess they're probably all sun religions ancient. at the end of the day. Mostly, most of them pretty ancient. Some of them not so ancient. I guess they're all pretty ancient. And we got Graham eat a lot of meat. Dunlop, how's it going, buddy? Not bad. How you doing? Why'd you have to bring up that? Well, because your arm's sore. I wonder if it has something to do with your. Your meat diet's finally oh. catching up. Yeah. yeah, I think so. <laughs> it was great for two months, and then I couldn't move. Oh, no, it's more than two months now. It's been a few Has months. it been over yeah. two months? Yep. It's been almost four months. Almost a third of almost a year? Almost four months, yeah. I can do a full year? I'll tell you what's weird, dude. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into it too much, but there's a very little gas. I used to I used to fart all the time. Like, like some nights, it'd just be like all night. Mm-hmm. I don't have any gas. Very, very little gas. Libido's improved massively. No, that's like, good. So, I mean, you know, it just seems like that's those are good signs. Mm-hmm. You know, lost the weight. Don't go to the bathroom as much. I don't know. Just eating it's less. Just good. Yeah, yeah, eating less. Yeah. Trying to eat lots of healthy fats and stuff. What kind of fats? Steak fat. Steak fat. Chicken fat. Chicken fat, pork fat. Yep. Hmm. No cheese? Yep, cheese. Bit of cheese? Yep, cheese, milk. A lot of milk? A little bit. Not a lot. Anyways. Anyways, I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Are you going to go full year? Is this I don't know. It? This is I don't you know, forever dude. now. No, no. I don't know. We'll see. Or are you we'll just going to go back? Now we'll see how it goes. Hmm. So far, you're just planning on... Going for it though, still. It's I don't know, man. The meat, like the, it's it's going to be a problem in the future. It's it's going to be a problem in the future. Well, one day I know I got to go get some more arrows for my bow. <laughs> Bro, you're a long way away from shooting <laughs> something with the bow and arrow. <laughs> Anyways, this is where we just ramble on a little bit about some uh, stuff in Gramerica listener emails and uh, housekeeping events and other shows and shit we got to talk about before our interview with Lara, which is fantastic. There's a great book, the ancient religion of the sun looking at it in the disc desk over there. It's like going to be a reference book for the studio for a long time. Where is it? It's over there on the desk in the pile of books. That yeah. Brody yeah. dropped off today mysteriously at the door. Yep. Didn't ring the doorbell or nothing. Just yep. I went out and there's some books. There. Yeah. <laughs> great. Brody must've been by. Yeah. Uh, well, where I'm also going to throw the last two trailers 
Oh, right. Rockton special in this one. The last two? Okay. Which would have been from episode four and five, I guess. Okay. Of season two of the Rockfin show. Okay. With uh, Dr. Claw. Okay. Jim Lee. Jim Lee. Jim nice. Lee. It's the eye patch. Oh, yeah, right. The eye patch makes him seem like either a supervillain or yeah. a... Oh, yeah, this was this was great, though. This was oh, fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Great for video, lots of... Screen shares about geoengineering yeah, really and the, the climate changers, you know, it was really a good, it was a good, he's always just so good at the data and the documents and the actual programs that are going on that are changing our climate. And it's, I'll give you a hint. It's not us and our SUVs that are making the difference. Them boats are a motherfucker. Yeah. The ship tracks. The ship tracks. Right? More, were, more, were one, one ship more than all the cars in the world or something, you know. They never no, want to talk about one that. Ship? Yeah. One Chinese supercargo ship? Yeah. Or were they yeah. are? Who owns those things? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. You never really hear much about that, right? Costco is a big Bezos one. Right? would have one. Costco? Does Costco have no, one? No, no. C O S C O. Like, you see those big all oh, those yeah, containers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Costco, do they own the ships too? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember who owns I can't remember who owns. Who owns most of that? That'd be but, interesting to track down who owns yeah. them boats. Yeah. Sure, they own a lot of the media, too. And, I mean, they never talk about that. Right? And they're using never weird fuels and shittier fuels in there. and You can see it. And, it. and it ends up creating a huge, huge cloud, right? Miles long, I think. And I think it's basically one. the entire Pacific Ocean. It's made a cloud so big that it can now suck up the water, but the cloud's so big that it never really sucks up enough water to rain. Right. Which is why it never rains in California anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Which makes you wonder, what if all that shit just lets loose one day? Yeah. Or is that what or happens what if they, what if they, Calgary gets uh, flooded? Yeah, so. what if they push it? What if they push it to let it loose? I mean, they're doing enough weather modification all over the place. It seems like they Well, can. that's the stuff they mean to do. I'm more worried about the stuff they don't mean yeah, to exactly. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I honestly, I mean, they're probably pretty terrible people, but I just, like, I'm, I'm much more worried about the unintended consequences of what these people are up to. Uh, blocking out the sun? Like, blocking out the sun? You know, what could happen, right? Well, what what bad could go wrong? about blocking right? out the sun is, like, I was, I was, like, looking at blocking out the sun, like, five, six years ago. It's kind of frustrating that it's come back around and it's all popular again now. Because we were talking about this on yeah. episode, like, 150, yeah. about yeah. Bill Gates' plan to block out well, the sun. Well, I don't sun. think it was Bill Gates at the time. Yeah, it was. Was it? Yep. You think? Yep. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. It went back that far with him. Yeah. But back then, it was it was, like... Like uh, super underground info, you know what I mean? It was like, or I guess it was probably the same articles that we're talking about now, but it no, wasn't until like, the CIA came out. It was less Bill Gatey, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It was oh, like totally. yeah. everyone wasn't out to get Bill Gates then, and it wasn't like an actual plan at that time. It was more like, now you know what? I'm wondering if it was in like, dude, I might have seen this in like a Maxim magazine, like 20 years ago. Oh boy. Yeah, they maybe. were talking yeah, about maybe. the, the yeah. best 10 plans at the time to block out global warming. Yeah. And one was these, these little space nets that were going to oh, spread yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, or and, popular mechanics could have been in one of those. Maybe yeah, popular mechanics. It was, it was yeah. one of those type yeah. sort of things. But that was now we're talking pre-podcast. Pre-podcast, yeah. I remember. And for some reason, I'm thinking it was Bill Gates at the, at the time. 
that's probably come a long way. Imagine the money that goes into that, you know? But we are blocking out the sun. That's the thing. With ship tracks. Yeah. And plane tracks. Yeah. Whether they're, I like his way of, uh, Jim Lee's way of saying it doesn't matter. Contrails, chemtrails, plane farts, don't matter. Whatever it is, it's changing the weather because it's blocking out the sun on mass. Yeah. And the planes aren't even close to part of the problem. It's the boats. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, that's on Rockfin. And uh, Darren's going to, what are you going to do? You're going to put a little, little uh, trailer of that in before this episode. And then. The best uh, of yeah, that's on That's on Rockfin. And then our streaming's also on Rockfin for Grand America Outlawed as well, because Darren's streaming there now because we can't use YouTube. And we're streaming, I think you're parallel streaming our normal show on that too, right? Yeah, you can see everything we stream is now available on Rockfin. And there's and a huge free section Rockfin there. And go, never go back. There's a huge free section there, a whole bunch of people that we that we know and we talk about. You guys all know the fellow podcasters that are over there. A lot of people we're connected with and friends with are over there. So you can watch it all for free or you can also check it out. You can also sign up and get access to everybody as well. It's kind of like the Netflix of U- the YouTube kind of thing in a way. Yeah, it's interesting. Rockfin.com slash America. They're bringing more people on all the time. Head over there. Check it out. See if you like it. Like I say, you can go there and never go back to YouTube. Catch everything we do. It's a good spot. Good spot to find that stuff. Whoops. Do you have a quote? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I don't. That's the one thing I don't have prepared. I don't. don't. You have to cancel that jingle. Please cancel that jingle. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> all right. I don't well, have that. I don't have the operation. I've got lots of, I've got listener f- you don't emails. Have any of those? Things? I got listener emails today. Well, you have the new event. Yes, you should talk about that. Contact about at that. the cabin presents magic on the mountain down in Arizona, Pine Top, Arizona. We got Owen Hunt, Brandon Powell, and Joe Roop all coming down, down to Arizona. We're going to fly into Phoenix. Head up the mountain, uh, up to Pine Top Lakeside, I believe it's called, technically. It's about an hour south of the Petrified Forest. We got, once again, a giant uh, cabin rented out. And we're selling some tickets. We're going to do some magic uh, ritual stuff, some presentations with Joe Roop. I think he's going to get us doing some workshops and stuff, too. Same with Owen Hunt. He's going to take us through the gears, teach us through... His kind of stuff. You can, I mean, we had him on the Outlawed show. And you put it out in this feed. You put it out in the normal feed too, actually. Did I? It's on YouTube and the normal feed. Yeah, you put it out there. Bootsy Greenwood. Bootsy Greenwood. Yeah. That's his porn name. If you want to see what his stuff's all about, but it's going to be fantastic. I'm sure we'll get some, a little comedy sketch out of him at some point as well. He's a comedian. Uh, And then Brandon Powell. Brandon Powell, modern day shaman. Brandon Powell coming out. Of course, this time we are going to have the dunk tank and everything. We're at a, we're going in February. It's going to be a little chilly. I mean, we're almost out of camp spots already anyway, but um, it's going to be a little chilly for camp and dress warm, but it's at least a good thing about the weather is that we can just fill up our hundred gallon stock tank with water and a bit of ice and it's going to stay cold all weekend. So we are going to be doing the full uh, Brandon Powell experience there where he takes us through all the breath work and stuff like that. And we're going to do the cold plunges for anyone who wants to. I mean, I went in the Virgin River there at the bottom of Zion. It was pretty cold. 
probably probably not as cold as like freezing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a little different. Yeah. So we got that going on. If you want to check that out, yeah, we sort of revamped the contact at the cabin webpage. You can go there, check that out. It'll sort of give you all the three of events that we've got going on right now. Contact at the cabin in February in Arizona. There's the Magic and Manifestation event. There's only about 27 spots for that total. And I think five are already gone. So you're going to want to take a look at that if that's something you're interested in. Head over to the website, make a deposit, get on that. There's seven spots left for Contact at the Canyons, April 2022, which is about a year away from today, a couple days, a year away from the 28th, April 28th, 2022. That one starts. But it's selling out fast, so if you want to get on it, you're going to have to head over there sooner than later and jump on it, make a deposit. And then, of course, we're uh, got the uh, the page up for the next Randall event as well, which we're going down to do in two weeks. Randall Carlson, yeah. Two weeks. Scablands. Tomorrow, that one Scablands, starts. Or is it a yeah. week tomorrow? No, it's a week tomorrow. It's yeah. a week tomorrow that yeah. shit kicks off. Yeah. And then there's another one of those as well, officially. Yeah, we don't we don't have the exact dates yet. Okay, but, okay. Well, yeah. it's supposed to be a September event. Okay. So we want to get it back to September and out of May because Mays yeah. are busy for us. We can't yeah. do next May. No. Because we got a February and a, and a May already. Yeah. Yeah. The Canyon event ends on May second. Yeah. So we want to get that event back to September where it belongs. So we'll do. To this year, probably. Yeah. And I mean, there's been a And these are great. The thing about these events, not like a normal conference where you got like 10 or 12 speakers and a bunch of people sitting in an auditorium. This is like intimate. You know, you got a bunch of people that listen to the show. You can talk about anything with everybody. It's like kind of like an extended meetup with a couple, you know, special guests like Dave Matheson talking about the star myths or Randall or like we're talking about Joe Roop and Owen Hunt. Dave I'm goes sh- to the scab lines with Randall yeah. too. So he'll yeah. be there. Yeah. And I mean, it's fantastic. Now. I think it's a oh, good it's way great. to do it. People yeah. had a great time the last time. So. People love this shit. They seem to love it. So we'll keep doing them. Uh, as long as people keep wanting to go to them, we'll keep doing them. Contact at thecabin.com if you want to get in on any of that stuff. All right. What do you want to do? Well, then? I got a, I got a synchro and I got uh, an email about it, about a dream. And then I got, uh, I got, um, some another email that I I think I want to read. It's kind of a bit. Uh, it's a bit a con- it's a bit controversial in a way, but like let let's I I, w- I wouldn't mind uh, reading it. I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web, and Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. Actually, he sent an email prior. I'm going to read a little bit of the prior email too, um, because I think it's uh, it's important. It's when it's when stuff started happening in in Ontario there not too long ago, maybe a week or two ago. And he says, uh, "Hope everything's going okay in Alberta. Hope Alberta doesn't go down this road. And we'll see." You know, I had an epiphany the other day. When we get sick, it's a symptom like the soil. Ever wonder why certain weeds appear in fields and others don't? That weed is indicating something is wrong, like low zinc, calcium, potassium, etc. I've been going to a kinesiologist for the past three years, and it's the same philosophy. I'm experience- if I'm experiencing something, I'm usually low in a supplement or vitamin. 
The kinesiologist has removed Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, streptococcus, and herpes. No, not the one that you get on your mouth. With taking different kinds of supplements. I've barely had a cold. I had COVID last February. It sucked, but I survived. I had it again in August, but just bad headaches. Went to my kinesiologist. She gave me some Chinese herbs. Felt totally fine. So we are responsible for our health. Most COVID patients are obese. Well, there you, there you go. Lose the fat, eat organic, lose the sugar, and you'd be surprised what your immune system will do. Why am I responsible for your health? Going to the doctor and getting pumped with antibiotics is the wrong answer. You can test your body easily to see if it needs this anyways. But the stuff I take builds my body. The stuff I get from my doctor tears my body down, just suppressing the problem. So I just read that for context because then he, he sent me another email, which is kind of interesting as well. And it's kind of stuff we don't really talk too much about on this feed, but I figured it's, uh, it's okay. So he says, I'm, I'm enjoying tonight's show. I don't know this gentleman, but he's a great conversationalist. And I think that was the 81-year-old guy we had on Outlawed. So he's probably watching the first half of that. I hope this is a good time to send this to you. I've had thoughts and emotions of what's going on in the States. I see a lot of distortion of reality and I'm just taking the easy road, but it doesn't go to a pleasant destination. I'm literally seeing an Orwellian dystopia being unfolded in front of me. It's indescribable to see politicians advocating for violence. I'm not going to read. Uh, I'm not going to read all this other stuff about the politics. I'm going to kind of skip by it. But what he's saying is, I'm seeing both parties want the same thing, but lie and destroy to get what they want, which is power. I'm hearing more and more folks getting these vaccines and having adverse reactions. More and more authoritarian actions being taken, and people are just following along. I've been listening to Tim Dillon. I don't know if you know him. He's a comedian who appeared on Jerry a few times. He even joined with Alex Jones during the election night. So he had Whitney Webb on and they discussed the bill. And Melinda Gates Foundation is partnering with MasterCard and issuing a card like a vaccine passport. That not only shows that you've had your shots, but all your medical and financial records. Plus some connection, which I've listened to it twice. And I'm not sure the connection, but some partnership with socialist organization that claims they are capitalist partnering with the Vatican. Here's the link. And he sends a link to inclusivecapitalism.com. So I don't know what's happening. I don't know if we're fighting against some world, one world shadow government or China is leading the way to rule the world, planting Marxist indoctrination throughout the globe. I have no idea. However, Graham, for the past two years, I have this vision. Bear with me. I keep picturing humanity free free of ourselves, not just the government. The vision plays out on a human being standing in front of a dome with solar powers, holding a garden tool outside with blue skies, with clouds rolling over. The plains are back to being native prairie with the mighty savanna oak returning. The person has tribal tattoos, but they actually mean something. Also useful to point out acupuncture points, kind of like Otzi the Iceman, There's a sense of peace and confidence, not out to dominate or be dominated. True balance of yin and yang. See, that's the urge I feel in my soul. Urge to get to that state. But I need to break down my ego to even find myself anywhere near that state. I've been fascinated by the forgotten worlds. The ancient worlds. Who was before the Sumerians? The Egyptians? Atlantis? It really captures my attention like God has my head in his hands, focusing my eyesight on this topic. It's so weird, eh? Because we were talking about uh, 
we're talking about this uh, with the last guest that we had on another show where it feels like this is like, it is, it's everything's focusing on this topic right now. For some reason, even during this dystopian time, we're talking about ancient history. So he says, I'm desperately looking for something. I've listened to most of Randall's content, except Cosmographia. It's fantastic, but I need a visual for that one. Most of Graham Hancock's videos, most of the megalithic mania videos. Looking into spiritual teachings of Native Americans, Polynesia, Pagan, and other ind- indigenous groups. Gnostics. I'm looking for something, but I'm not quite sure. This might sound crazy. I know I am a bit crazy, but still functional. I truly believe there was some ancient stone technology where certain kinds of stones could transmit energy to each other. For example, the theory of the Great Pyramid being a power generator and sending wireless energy to the obelisks to be transferred. Now, I wonder what in the world were the ancients using this energy for if this is the case. Cosmography is on YouTube. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying is he watches uh, cosmography for the visuals, I think. Either they did have a use for electricity or it was a different kind of energy, like healing energy. Maybe energy to help humankind to be in balance. I mean, this is kind of what we were just talking about on our last show, too, with Jared Murphy, Mm -hmm. who's coming on Rockfin for season three. Very similar to that. You know, there's a great Nintendo Switch game called Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I'm sure you've heard of it. The game begins with Link, the hero, awakening in the stone basin of water. He stands and stumbles over the stone-like controller that has a dim glowing stalactite above it. The stalactite glows blue and disperses some blue energy into the stone controller. The controller is released and it's a tablet. This tablet has all kinds of abilities like using magnetism to move objects. Now, it's just a game. There's no evidence of this kind of device, but you wonder. You look at the Scottish stone spheres and, quote, Hugh Newman, our smartphones are the device of the day. Were these the devices of the day? You wonder where humans, were humans more capable of profound abilities like Evan Strong has seen from his Aboriginal friends and used items like these stones to focus and center their abilities? So I'm searching for something that we can use to carry over the human story. See, I know if we got hit by a supervolcano or an extraterrestrial event, our technology is gone. I think the technology we have is weak. This is awesome to send you an email and listen to your show at the same time, but look at the cost of the environment and how easily damaged this technology is. Imagine sending an image or a text through a stone. Maybe we were all psychic at one point. Who knows, Graham? I think we are going to get hit by something. I don't want to fear monger, but we have become too comfortable, especially comfortable in the arms of the state. We've lost our connection with the land, our neighbors, and the self. I think we can shut off so much physical anguish through exercise, yoga, diet, and homeopathy. Emotional anguish through meditation, stone healing like crystals, Jungian therapy, spiritual healing through plant and mushroom medicine. We have outlawed or made these options hard or fringe. You know, if we all had our needs met, physical, emotional, and spiritual, even with basic methods, we wouldn't need all of this around us. For what are we really? A collective conscience trapped individually in meat suits? I see what is most important that actually most religions, not sure on Islam, but that's another day, are trying to get across. But someone's egos hinders hinders our growth. The connection with the self. If we truly understand, which I am so far away from truly understanding, I have no idea, but if we could understand the self, we wouldn't need all of this, and further, whatever spiritual human development, I think, would be more fulfilling. 
Okay, Graham, I'm done. Thank you for your time. And sorry, this is so damn long. I needed to share with a like-minded individual so I can breathe. Thank you for all you guys do. Keep challenging the narrative. Take care. And that's the kind of stuff we talk about at Contact at the Cabin. (laughs) Really. I love it. A little bit. Yeah, I could get into some of that. (laughs) GrahamAmerica.ca slash support, too, if you like the show, if you're getting some value from the show, if you're... Enjoying the 491 episodes or whatever we're at so far uh, for free. Adding some value to your commute or your gym or your walk or whatever. Head over to grumamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly or do a one-time donation or something fantastic. Hit up the Patreon, whatever you want to do. Support us some way if you can, when you can. We love you for it. It is our supporters that keep the wheels going around here, everything else. Yeah, we can't do it without you. Couldn't do it without you. We would have wrapped this thing up a long time ago if it weren't for you lovely bastards and bastardettes. I guess anyone could be a bastard, right? I wouldn't call anybody that. Wasn't just a... This, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. America.ca slash support if you can, when you can. Anything else to get to before we roll? Yeah, I got a synchro. All right. I want to talk about it because I said I would do it last week. And it's in the chats. So go to the the chats chats and leave some stuff. Synchro, there's a COVID-1984 channel in there. There's a bunch of stuff. And check out our other outlawed show for sure. America.ca slash chats. Didn't I actually play the synchro jingle? Oh, and you shut it down. No, that was, I thought you were, that That was was a a quote. quote. Yeah, that was a quote. I played this jingle too then, I'm a rambling No, I don't think you did. Well, no, you did before we started recording. Yeah. Get ready for this rating. All right. So this is from Jed now in the chats. He says, night before last, I dreamed that a large shark was swimming around me. Soon after I reached the shore, out of fear of the shark, I turned to see that the shark was gone. And in its place was a lion. Be wrestler? Not the lion shark. The lion was standing on ground. Lion shark? Is that a no, thing? I, just, I thought you were gonna. It, it reminded me of you talking about the what was it? The wolf? The dolphin wolf or whatever? The wolfin. The wolfin. <laughs> I still maintain I'm correct. <laughs> the lion was standing on dry ground, and the ocean water had been walled up around him to create a patch of dry ground. The lion was just as fearsome to me as the shark had been. The next morning, I was continuing my research into Bitcoin development when I watched a YouTube video on the channel Breaking Down Bitcoin. The hosts had read the book Mastering Bitcoin and were discussing it. The book, they said, features an analogy whose point is that Bitcoin and Ethereum should not be compared because they each have respective domains like a lion and a shark. (laughs) Fuck. So in his thing, the shark turned into a lion, which is the Ethereum? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, which one is the, I don't know. I mean, but how crazy that he turns around, the shark's gone, and there's a lion in a dry patch and with the water all around it in its place. I don't think the a lion shark and the shark. The lion, though. No, this no, I don't know. Like I know it's two separate things, okay. but like then Ethereum and Bitcoin. Five and a half. Seven, what? Seven? Dude, it's like, know, that's, this, this is like huge. really getting home for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a uh, ripple stick, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I guess it could be. Yeah. Do I still have the ripple stick jingle? I think this is it. 
Thanks, Nap. At a minimum. Uh, anyone else we're forgetting? Oh, lots of people, but... Shout out to Brady for helping out. Shout out to everyone yeah, we forgot. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan from Kansas comes to mind. Ryan from Kansas. Ryan from Cuxus. Uh, we love y'all. Enjoy the chat with Lara Atwood. And what I see is... The, the 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 tie that binds when it comes to the climate change agenda, whether it be COP 21, the Paris Accord, you know, the Paris Climate Agreement, as they like to put it, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 coming out of the United Nations, the the common denominator in all this is something called technocracy. Um, that one of those tankers, just one produces more CO2 than every single car on the planet. <laughs> wow. I mean, when you just take that into account, that's why I say you're here, then you got your, your, your corporations. And especially in this globalist environment, when we have these international shipping tankers creating more CO2 than every car on the planet, just one, and they're, hundreds if not thousands of these crossing the pacific every day um they create ship tracks these are these are chemtrails granddaddy um these are basically clouds that come off of these international ships that are 50 100 miles wide and sometimes three to ten thousand miles long i see four main factors in this ruin the ocean, kill trees, kill bacteria, artificial clouds, and finally, geoengineering. The importance factor, the most important thing on the planet is human resources, um, controlling all the humans. But the, the second most important thing on the planet is water resources, because water is life. And if you can control water, or as Lyndon Baines Johnson, our president, said, he who controls the weather controls the world. Um, that was back in the 60s. So, you know, th this is long in the planning, um, you know, of these these uh, technocrats and bureaucrats. Um, uh, this is a friend of mine from MIT University, Dr. Rick Shankman. He put out an article called Genetically Modified Weather, the Tale of Frost Band Synthetic Bacteria. And it was also known as Ice Minus Pseudomonas. And then we have the problem of accidental geoengineering. And this is a shot from Climate Viewer 3D, which is climateviewer.org, my 3D map. Um, you can bring up the satellite um, imagery for every day all the way back to like 2002. And you can see these very long lines in here. And these are the ship tracks. And all of this creates what's called marine stratocumulus. 
And these clouds basically blanket the entire Pacific Ocean. If the time and place of seeding is selected with care, the climate effect of cirrus thinning can be enhanced. For that, only long-wave warming effects of cirrus clouds should be targeted, and their solar effects should be avoided. Now, I'm going to translate this, so don't, don't trip out. Um, this can be achieved if seeding is limited to high-latitude winters or to nighttime seeding. This is, the, this is what's going on today. Um, all behind, you know, closed doors. Um, the last one I'll throw you is from the ICAO Colloquium on Aviation and Climate Change 2010. Um, and Dr. Ulrich uh, Schumann, the world's top expert on chemtrails, contrails, plane farts, he said, we want less warming and more cooling contrails predictable for operational planning. Oh, my God. That just scared so, me. This is not this is not conspiracy theory. These are straight out of the mouths of scientists interviewing the head of the FAA. I didn't pull these from conspiracies. I pulled these from Google Scholar. So these are the facts. And this is the 10 technologies to control the weather today. Like I show um, ionospheric heaters, um, sa- um, sounding rockets, satellites, lasers, cloud seeding, cloud ionization, stratospheric aerosol injection, which we just went over the artificial clouds with ship tracks, contrail induced cirrus, and water vapor pollution. So this is how they're artificially changing the weather every single day and have been for the last 50 years. Um, and meanwhile, blaming everything you see, every severe weather event on, us. on climate change, yeah, on CO2. On yeah, and then on which us. Is, yeah. I mean, just it, it's a massive multi-billion, if not trillion dollar industry worldwide where um, companies like Western Weather Consultants, Weather Modification Incorporated, um, insurance companies like Guaranteed Weather, um, they'll insure a, a, a corn crop. For several million you know, millions of dollars, um, and say we're going to make sure that hail doesn't destroy your crop. Yeah, and and I had an article on um, climateviewer.com called "Gambling with Your Weather," and it, what it comes down to is they've never been able to prove this the scientific efficacy of of cloud seeding since 1946, and the National Academy of Sciences in 2003 came out with a statement that basically reads like this: it says. Um, our position is relatively the same as it was 60 years ago, that large-scale weather modification projects should not be attempted because they cannot be scientifically validated. Um, can you change the weather for a certain? Do you know what's going to happen? Absolutely not. So weather modification history, pluviculture, 1800 to 1946, cloud seeding, 1946 to present, Weather warfare, we went to war in Vietnam. We did weather warfare. Um, We were caught. Um, uh, When we were caught, Russia and America agreed to what was called the NMOD agreement that banned weather warfare in 1978. It's the Environmental Modification Convention. The problem is they never made a way to catch somebody doing weather warfare. And I work on that solution. Um, I've called it the Environmental Modification Accountability Act. And it's a way to catch people doing weather warfare. And maybe we can talk about that a little later. Um, 
and then geoengineering 1994 to present, even though the word geoengineering was invented by Cesare Marchetti in 1977. And the first time they talked about climate change and geoengineering ideas was in 1965 in a report John F. Kennedy called Restoring the Quality of Our Environment. What is this all about? Um, And this comes from UN Assistant Secretary General Janos Pastor. The emissions and climate change that that we're causing with that is already a massive experiment on our world, and we don't really know what the outcome of. That goes back to what we talked about with accidental experiment and accidental geoengineering. That pollution that we're already doing is geoengineering the planet, and we don't know what the outcome of that is. He said, so I don't think we should start another set of experiments and go into geoengineering. I think we should get our act together and reduce our emissions. Now, that is a careful play on words. You know, arguments about, you know, David Key saying, if we dump, you know, as much chemicals as I'd like to in the sky, many tens of thousands of people will die as a direct result of us doing that. And I'm not trying to sweep that under the rug. And there's the ICE 911 project where they're literally uh, covering the entire North Pole um, in little glass or silicone balls. What could go wrong? I mean, what could go wrong? You know, like I thought that if you made a little glass ball and I was in the Boy Scouts, that if I held it just right, that I could burn a leaf with it. Yeah, exactly. And you ask any chemtrail conspiracy theorists and they'll say depopulation, more, more gelons or more gallons. Um, you know, all of these crazy freaking ideas. And then I show them a Freedom of Information Act request from uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base, the Air Force Research Lab, and um, followed up by a PowerPoint presentation that was done at the Weather Modification Test Technology Symposium 1997. Dr. Arnold J. Barnes from um, the Air Force has a slide in there, and it says, create cirrus clouds and the reasons he gives is to block satellite surveillance wow and the other reason he gives to increase um the effectiveness of nighttime operations and that's why i've you know come up with my solution the environmental modification accountability act you can check it out at climateviewer.com slash nmod, that's E-N-M-O-D. And hopefully, you know, we can bring some accountability to, you know, this. My contact information is here. Um, anybody wants to get in touch with me, Jim at climateviewer.com. All right, tonight we've got a special episode for you. We've got Lara Atwood with us of Sacro Sawal and the author of Ancient Religion of the Sun. So thank you, Lara, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, I love I, I think you were recommended by listeners and because it, it really sort of uh, resonated with some of our past episodes. And of course, we had Randall Carlson on a couple of times with uh, talking about, uh, you know, these ancient mysteries and Graham Hancock and 
you know, and I, and I, so I got, I got in touch with you. I got your book and I loved it. It's fantastic. It kind of put a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about into, into like a coherent message. Like I really like the way you guys put it into a message of this is what we think is going on. And it seems to fit yeah. like our recent, like literally like the last few months I've been thinking about the ancient religions and the myths and the giants and the evolution of, of our humanity yeah. and the, the global travel, like it just sort of encompasses all that. So I really, really liked your book. Yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of things like that too were kind of loose ends for me, like giants, you know, where do they fit into the picture? Why are all these ancient sites the same? They look the same. Why did they have the same function? Why is everyone worshiping the sun? So on and so forth. And yeah, I just, I, really wanted to find the answers and yeah I feel like this really at least has made a big step in bringing it all together it makes sense to me yeah totally and then your husband your husband and you also wrote another book about the religion of the sun like is is it more into the actual religions of it yeah it is yep it's called the ancient path of the sun and yeah it talks more about the actual symbology of the ancient sites um the religious practices, the ceremonies, and it sort of brings the commonalities between those together and really tries to decode them and explain them, um, yeah, in a way that is understandable today. So it makes sense of it all, why people were celebrating the solstices and equinoxes all over the world, for example, and what they really meant to them. Is that, was it, which one, which book was first? Uh, the Ancient Path of the Sun book was first. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so we started working on that back in 2011 and that's when we started really just um, we, we didn't set out with a plan or, or an idea of where this was going to end up. We just started researching um, solstice celebrations. So it really came out of just wanting to do something for the solstice and for people who don't know what a solstice is or an equinox, um, the sun has basically four major transitions that it makes in a year. Um, you have the winter solstice, which is in the Northern Hemisphere, Christmas. Then you have the summer solstice, which is um, just the peak of summer. It's like the time of greatest light. And then in between those is like a crossing transition, which is the equinox. And what we started to find as we began researching is that these times were central to ancient peoples. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of ancient sites that were aligned to these specific times throughout the world. And they're not, you know, they were actually sacred sites. They're not just big clocks. They had a, a religious meaning to these people. And they've survived today, for example, in um, the celebrations of the solstices and equinoxes, which people still celebrate today as part of their ancient, ancient traditions, like for example, um, people in Central and South America, obviously pagans in Europe, um, these were huge celebrations and they were hugely important. And um, it was like that that we started to research the commonalities between different ancient cultures and just one thing led to another. Um, and we realised that these ancient sites, celebrations, were actually part of what was once a soul religion, a common religion 
that is possibly tens of thousands of years old. And it kind of diverged off over time, you know, with migrations of different people and the rise and fall of different civilizations. But essentially we could trace the commonalities back and see that there had been a common religion. So that was a huge shock to us. It wasn't something that we set out to find. It was something that we really, yeah, just stumbled upon. Before we get into that part of the book, which is fascinating, can, can you get into a little bit about the path itself and how, like, what does that look like in today's religious sort of uh, context or spiritual context? You know, is it sort of like a pagan, a pagan thing? I mean, I see some runes behind you and, um, you know, it's like, is that, does that look like what we would think it looks like right now? You you describe it a little bit in the ancient uh, religion, but I think it's, uh, yeah, I'd like to learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, sure. So basically, um, the saucers and equinoxes, so they form essentially like a path of the sun. So the sun, um, you could say from our perspective, makes a journey through the sky each year. And this journey is profound when you think about it in terms of the antithesis of light and darkness, because this not only um, relates to the exterior world, but it also relates to us and who we are and our journey through eternity, really, our journey of consciousness. You know, we have light and darkness within ourselves. And so these solstices and equinoxes had very um, profound meaning. And essentially, they illustrated a path of transformation that someone could take. So I'll give you an example. Um, At the autumn equinox, what was celebrated was um, the descent into the underworld. And that descent uh, coincides with the coming of winter, right, and the encroaching darkness. So the sun seems to um, essentially descend into darkness. And that was representative to ancient people of a descent that we make in in ourselves to confront our own inner darkness. So that darkness then had to be confronted and overcome in order to give birth to something new within and to give birth to the spiritual within. And that leads to the winter solstice where you have the celebration, which is almost universal of the rebirth of the sun so we know that uh, you know most commonly as the birth of jesus right so the birth of jesus is celebrated at the winter solstice and you know bringing light and hope um to you know those who follow him but this is a very common motif in ancient cultures where you had the rebirth of the sun god and that actually had a deeper more profound meaning in that that birth also related to the birth of the light within. And so then the path continues through the spring equinox where you have resurrection um, uh, until you reach the final culmination at the summer solstice, which was complete enlightenment at the time of greatest light. And you can see that same pattern represented in the life of Lots of different sun gods of the ancient world. People have drawn up many comparisons between Jesus, Osiris, Mithras, for example. Um, And essentially those gods were often um, venerated in ancient mystery schools where this 
path on the pattern of initiation for people. Is there a, is there a meditative practice to it at all? Can you bring in this solar energy or is there, is that part of part of it as well? Yeah, look, so um, the next big project that I've got on is to research all the different ancient practices. So to actually look into the ancient texts, but certainly um, meditative practices, all sorts of different spiritual practices were part of it. Um, anything that kind of raised, helped to raise your um, energetic frequency and to connect with the divine light or that spiritual energy that's coming from the sun. Um, there are also core practices too, um, which were very important that brought about like a personal transformation. So um, like a, a form of spiritual psychology was really important, being able to um, essentially confront and overcome uh, one's own greed and anger and hatred and things like that, like I was talking about before with the autumn equinox. So there were lots of different practices um, that that someone could do with some very sort of key important ones. What about what about the more recent sort of breathitarianism or or I've heard of people call it breatharian or breathitarian as well. Is that is that some connected to this at all? Um I haven't specifically found that as being connected, although, um, for example, in uh, Hinduism, you know, there are a lot of breathing exercises they talk about taking in prana. And prana was essentially seen as the sun's energy, but it was um, it was throughout the atmosphere so that when you were consciously breathing in, you were breathing in um, this sort of divine energy or prana. Like I said, I'm yet to research that and 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 just um, what kind of effects that would have and how useful it would be. Um, but yeah, look, I've seen I've seen that that could be part of it. Yeah, I tried a, I tried a bit of a solar meditation from uh, that book um, that we had on high magic. It has a and, it, and it's very it's very interesting if you practice this. Like there was a fourfold breath and breathing in the sun and and watching it come up in your imagination and then go down and and you could feel the energy like just oh, from right. just from even just trying to focus on it. Why were you going to laugh? Indians are solar powered, buddy. You're solar powered. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we charge up in the summer and it gets us through the winter. Yeah. Just. Yeah. I was just in the desert and the sun was fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God. What a difference. Yeah. I, you know what? Your, your book made me think of the, the, uh, the equator and the, the different latitudes, because you, you mentioned, I think there's a bunch of these sacred sites that are on the same. Um, would that be parallel? Is it parallel or uh, Lo uh, longi lat, longitude, or lat. Lat, longitude maybe? I, I think it doesn't even, it's just like if you were to literally, you know, take one of those old globes and yeah. put a pencil on and just yeah. kind of spin yeah, it, yeah. it would just be, you would just intersect a bunch of these ancient sites. And they're sites. all in the Northern Hemisphere? They were. Sorry? Those, those ones were yes. in the Northern all Hemisphere. The Northern. Yeah. And, but I, I, because I, I feel like you'd be less likely to worship the sun at the equator. Well, that, so that's, that's kind of what my question was, but because it's very consistent at the equator, right? Like. When you're in Hawaii, like in Hawaii, you really notice it when it's six, it, it gets light in the morning at the same time, pretty much it gets dark at night early, like six something or whatever. It's very it equal, granted. right? Like six to six kind of thing. Isn't and I wondered if they worship it differently in the Northern regions or like how, when, cause when you go really North, I mean, the, the, the winter is really 
really bad and like you here. know the summers yeah and, and the summer like there's the you know the lopsidedness of your of your seasons is so much different did you notice a difference well, I think in there no in fact um what i noticed is that despite the different locations of these traditions that they still retained commonalities wherever they were so um, when you think of sun worship you know you think of the ancient egyptians right Okay, you think of um, basically all the pagans of Europe. You think of the Aztec, the Maya, the Inca, a lot of the tribes of um, and peoples of North America, like the Hopi, um, the Mesopotamians, um, the Hittites and Anatolia. So, I mean, I could just go on and on in terms of a list. And wherever you go, you find um, commonalities. So wherever these people were, and it what I liken it to or um, tr- try to use an example to help people understand how this ancient religion spread is that, you know, if you think about our civilization and if it ended tomorrow, right, and in, let's say, 5,000 years, people are digging up, trying to understand, you know, the people who went before, well, what are they going to find, right? They're going to find the same-looking buildings with crucifixes, right, Almost everywhere they're going to find statues of a man dressed in a robe with a beard almost everywhere around the world. And um, and what this indicates is that, that obviously that religion of Christianity spread and despite being in different places, it kept like a core doctrine and set of symbols. And so that's what I found with this ancient religion of sun worship but. It kept its core doctrine and symbols no matter where it spread, whether into the Northern Hemisphere or the Southern Hemisphere. Huh, that's fascinating. So it doesn't matter, yeah, it doesn't matter where, like if the the sun is, you know, setting at 6 o'clock or 11 o'clock during summer, you know. So I guess it probably, that means it has more to do with the, does that mean it has, does that mean the, the zodiac is playing into it because that would probably change with the seasons, right? The stars that they were seeing as well. Um, there is some other like stellar symbolism. So obviously, like in ancient Egypt, for example, you have like Orion was a really significant constellation, Sirius, and you find that again as a similar motif that spreads. So you have the constellation of Orion become central to a lot of other cultures as well. And even, I mean, you might be familiar with this, but, you know, the ancient pyramids of Giza, how they align to the three stars of Orion's belt. Well, you have three pyramids in Mexico that also align to the three stars of Orion's belt. And one of them, the Pyramid of the Sun, shares almost exactly the same dimensions as a great pyramid of Egypt. So there's clearly like a very strong connection there. So I I don't I haven't seen like a real focus on the constellations, but I've seen a focus on certain constellations and they appear again and again, particularly the constellation of Orion. It's very important. Yeah. So the other part I loved about your book was the which I didn't really notice is so prevalent is the wisdom bringers and the seven things like the seven, uh, 
the seven adventurers or the seven sages, the seven strangers, the seven explorers, like all those commonalities. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when I started researching this again, like you start researching, let's say, um, the like the law, the traditions of the Inca, right, of Peru, and they talk about we're a culture. And he's just, you know, he's said to be a god, a creator, right, a sun god, right? And it wasn't until years later um, that I read that they actually talk about him as a real person. He was a real person who came from across the ocean. You know, he's described in a very specific way, definitely, you know, um, not a Native American, someone who's come from a foreign country and, you know, he taught them their soul, a religion, he taught them the arts of civilization, and then he moved on to teach it elsewhere. So, a lot of these figures that we've come to realize or come to think of as gods only are actually described in the indigenous traditions of people as real people. So Osiris is another one. Um, you know, Osiris of Egypt is sort of always portrayed as this god, but again, he was a real person who was said to have come to Egypt to teach them their religion of sun worship and the arts of civilization and the strike the similarities between him and Wiraculture of South America are absolutely striking. It seems very likely um, that either he or someone who was part of his uh, group or party or, or whatever you want to call it actually traveled to Peru um, and taught people there. So I just found this absolutely like, you know, shocking and revealing. Um, and that, yeah, like you said, the same story keeps popping up again, that there's this great sage who's followed by seven others. And and this is found, again, through all these different sun-worshipping civilizations. Do you think that has anything to do with the Pleiades? Or do, did you, or do you know why, the, why it's seven? Yeah, so that it's... I think it was done for a symbolic reason. I don't think that it was just random, that there just happened to be like seven people. Um, I think they were chosen as part of like a long tradition so that there was actually a priesthood of the ancient religion of the sun and that this kind of um, number was very important. And that actually, I think from my reading of different texts, I think relates to something about that process of transformation that I was talking about where the sun god is, whether Osiris or Wiracocha, is representative of that spiritual sun, right, our own um, our own spiritual sun that we can actually give birth to within and the, the seven followers or the seven sages are the seven sort of vehicles um, these are the seven bodies that we have. They were depicted in a lot of ancient artwork, often as seven serpents. So they're the seven vehicles that um, that being of light uses within us. So that seven chakras, interdimensional bodies. Sorry, chakras. Chakras. Well, look, um, maybe. Like I, I don't know. I haven't looked much into the chakras. I mean. Maybe it has something to do with it, but certainly like 
ancient peoples had a system where there was seven was really important and it was part of the structure of a human being and that sun god traveled or is within um that structure of seven wow and then how did you how did you stumble or get into the whole haplo group and the genetic evolution of of us too which is cuz i that's another fascinating thing you know a lot of this history seems to be suppressed i know there's a there's a guy i've been trying to get on the show and i follow him a little bit on youtube he talks about the dna of the vikings and he's been he's been canceled from universities and it's it's unbelievable like yeah, they don't yeah. want to talk about yeah. any of this kind of like this sort of uh you know history that goes back to you know maybe thousands of years instead of just a and now and you also mentioned a change of 500 or 250 years ago as well which maybe we, we should get into but Right. Okay. So, yeah, look, I think um, a lot of evidence of contact between ancient civilizations has been cultural artifacts, right? You know, people have gone, okay, well, this pyramid is similar to that pyramid, is this practice is similar to that practice. And a lot of um, a lot of that has just been brushed aside, right? As um, coincidence. coincidence or whatever yeah. people, yeah, coincidence, right? Whatever people want to call it. But genetics gives you like, like irrefutable evidence, right? If you find the DNA of people, let's say from Africa or Europe in Central America, that's proof that they were there. You're not arguing about is this cultural artifact that similar to that cultural artifact anymore? So I think, um, Genetics is like a really new and powerful tool um, in the research of ancient history, and it's something that um, I've really like got into. And it's a real eye opener because, as you say, what I found through it is not only um, is there genetic evidence that proves right that people from the old world have travelled to the new. So when I speak, you know, the old civilizations around the Mediterranean and Egypt and, and Europe, for example, did go before Columbus to the Americas. The genetic evidence, I think, really proves that, right, and got as far as Easter Island, for example. So the, the fact that they had contact in ancient times and therefore could have shared the same religion, I think is... Um, I, th I think is without a doubt in my mind personally. Um, but also it's it's starting to open up that question, like you say, of, well, um, what about these other races or beings that people have been describing, right, like giants? And then where do we fit into the picture? Um, are we different to the giants where did they come from? Where did we yeah. come from? Hyperborea. Yeah. They come from the, cause, cause the current dogma is so stuck on, oh, we came out of Africa, you know, but we've yeah. had guests on too that have, have said, well, no, it's going, it's more from your, your Asia to Africa and then sort of out or whatever. But I mean, then there's the legends and the myths of Hyperborea and these other places that they came from. And, and it seems like some of your genetic research is sort of kind of aligning with that. Yeah. Right. So I, um, I've started reading David Reich. So he's a very famous geneticist and he's looked at particularly like ancient populations. And basically what they're starting to find is that 
There were really different, I mean, really different types of humanoids on Earth not all that long ago, like let's say around the sort of 40,000 to 50,000 years ago. You had like Neanderthals, right, Denisovans. You had like the hobbits, like the sort of people who were like three to four foot tall in um, Indonesia. Yeah. So giants. I mean, to... I don't know if that's accepted by this guy, but the, you can throw giants into the mix too. It's like a Lord well, of the, yeah, veritable like it's Lord just of the Rings. An obvious, yeah. Exactly. That's just like a, an obvious conclusion someone would draw. Well, if there can be people who are like three to four foot tall, why can't there be people who are 10 foot tall? Right. Why would we just exclude them just because we think it's silly or. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's. He has basically found, oh, well, I mean, geneticists are finding that there are all these different types of humanoids. And so it's uh, one of them actually remarked that the world looked more like the set of Lord of the Rings, right, back yeah, then. Yeah. So we're used to just seeing us, right? We all look, you know, fairly similar, right, same height. But the world was very, very different not all that long ago. And so that's where giants you know, start to become not some kind of fairy tale, but something that really, a, a race of people that really could have existed. And, I mean, you find references to giants in so many Indigenous traditions. These are not Indigenous, you know, these are not just people writing books now. These are like age-old traditions that were written down in some cases hundreds of years ago where you have um, people in Central America, South America, North America, um, to all talking about these giant people and they're very specific about them. And what I found amazing is that their accounts actually correlate and they also start to correlate in with Atlantis. So, yeah, I mean, that's something else that we could talk about. Yeah, but. yeah. For Atlantis. Sure. Yeah. It's always fun to talk about Atlantis. Yeah. I mean, we had Randall on. We had, that's one of the episodes we did with Randall is, is Atlantis. Oh, he's great so, on Atlantis. And you yeah. even mentioned that at mid Atlantic, uh, the mid Atlantic Azor sort of range. And we went into that with him with the, uh, the, the, uh, profile of the, of the mountains and all that. I can't remember what you call that. The, the Azores? At, yeah. When, but when the, you're looking at the map, the, with the, uh, with the elevations and all that, I mean, you can clearly see there's a whole ridge the mid-Atlantic Ridge. So it's it's cool yeah. that you talk about a lot of that stuff in your in your book too. Yeah, that's right. I think Randall really, um, I found is just the best person for geological evidence for Atlantis. I think he's just done an outstanding job. And yeah, I talk I talk about him in the book and quote him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think Atlantis is is that? <laughs> because we kind of ask, ask Randall these same questions, but do you think it's a, it's a, it was a global thing or was it a sort of more of like a city like thing and, and maybe in the Azores or was it a civilization or a global civilization? What are your thoughts? on So, that? so Atlantis, I've come to Atlantis because I think that um, has played a, like Atlantis played a major part in the ancient religion of the sun. I think that's essentially where it came from. Um, you could say before the end of the ice age, I think, and there's different sources that talk about that, different ancient sources that um, you could say the Atlanteans, there are different accounts apart from Plato, and I can mention some of those, like in Hindu texts, for example, in Central America, they're clearly talking about Atlantis. I mean, the name in some cases is all, is very similar, like um, Aztlan was what the Aztecs called it, right? So 
um, they said that the people there, right, were giant in stature and they worshipped the sun. Their religion was sun worship, right? And so what I think happened then is obviously we know the story of the destruction of Atlantis. There were survivors. So there are ancient texts that say there were survivors, right, from this sort of island civilization and that they basically went on as like divine instructors to try and um, reestablish that ancient religion. And so that's where we go to the wisdom bringers, right? You have Osiris, Wiracocha, Manu, for example, who turn up after a great flood and they're teaching what an ancient religion of the sun. So I believe it traces back to like an ancient priesthood in Atlantis and Atlantis and being inhabited by this sort of former race of people, this giant race of people that so many Indigenous people talk about in their traditions. Fascinating. And then and then something happened. Like, so the wisdom bringers came around, let's say, from like the end of uh, the Younger Dryas, Atlantis, the flood, for thousands of years trying to re reestablish this religion of the sun. Some of it makes it to all these different parts of the world. And then something kind of happens and collapses in that. And when, when we get into the sort of the modern dogma of religion. Yeah. So um, I sort of, yeah, try and tell the story of what happened. So essentially um, what built up, I think, after the wisdom bringers was like a another lost civilization, right? This is one that, you know, when we talk about lost civilizations, a lot of people immediately think of Atlantis. And it certainly is a lost civilization, but I think there was another one that is far closer to us in time. Um, when you look at ancient pyramids around the world, for example, and how similar they are, and you look at the dating of them, there must have been a civilization within the last, let's say, you know, after the Ice Age, so within the last few thousand years, that built all those, right? And there is clear evidence through the DNA, like we were talking about, through languages, but there was contact between ancient civilizations thousands of years ago. So after the time of Atlantis, right, sort of between us and Atlantis, and I call that civilization the lost civilization of the sun. Right. And what actually happened, right, is that that civilization collapsed. So there were different events that led to that collapse, and one of them I talk about is what's basically been called the worst disaster in ancient history, and that was the late Bronze Age collapse, which happened about 1200 BC. And it just, I mean, it just annihilated literacy. It just led to dark ages for like hundreds of years. It collapsed like, you know, the ancient Egyptian empire, the Hittites, all all those ones sort of around the Mediterranean in Syria. Um, and, And from that point, I think what happened is that those networks of trade and migration were weakened and different outposts just basically eventually succumbed to invasion and there's a period of um, kind of, I would say, dying out and degeneration, yeah, yeah. yeah, over a period of hundreds or thousands of years until, yeah, we sort of see the rise of Christianity, which just finished off the remnants by the time, you know, the Spanish get to the the Americas or whatever, that just the last few outposts that were still practicing some form of sun worship were just obliterated. 
Do you think it's still up in the air about why that collapse happened? I mean, I was thinking of, was it Thera, like the volcano in Santorini, or was it, was it a, like an environmental thing again? Or, but I don't think there's any real clear evidence, it seems. Uh, or, I mean, there must be a, maybe there is a you know, mainstream narrative about it, but what do you think? Um, I suppose I only, I only know um, sort of the latest research into it in the mainstream, which is that they essentially don't know. They think that there might have been something environmental or like a sort of um, it had been a culmination of things. I think they've found uh, written evidence that people were essentially starving. So some there had been a huge drought and people were starving and then they were invaded by, you know, the famously called sea peoples, right, which just plundered and obliterated all the different cities so and just drove people out. Huh. So still, still up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. So it just—I mean, it's really interesting that, I mean, it just gradually fractured over time until you have, um, you know, the different sun-worshipping civilizations, right, that have kind of split off. They've been separated from one another, and then you have Christianity come along, um, that really sort of was. Um, which rose within the Roman Empire and Christianity then goes out and it actually subsumes a lot of these ancient sun-worshipping practices. And people have noted how there are actually a lot of solar symbols in Christianity. All the major holidays are timed with things like the winter solstice, right, and the spring equinox. So it actually kind of absorbed a lot of these ancient practices while, of course, you know, kind stopping of de- people kind of deified from practicing. It. Yeah. Kind of deified the, the solar religion. Yeah, that's right. It, it kind of, um, yeah, it just kind of absorbed it into it and sort of, yeah, placed, um, placed its own meaning over things that are obviously far more ancient. Maybe you can touch on the the language aspect of it as well. That's another fascinating part. I mean, we read we read the audiobook of the esoteric meaning of the alphabet, and it and it talked structure. about the esoteric structure of the alphabet. I yeah, yeah, it was I think structure. yeah, yeah, it might be structure. But it was very. I, I don't know if you've came across that book at all in your in your research, but it was very similar to what you were talking about. Is a lot of the the old words or the meanings of these words or the sounds? I mean, they they sort of seem to come to this this uh, similar point in the far past. Yeah, that's right. So what I've, um, what I've found is that um, there are language, again, like there is evidence that a lot of these ancient cultures had contact with one another and gave rise to each other, particularly with the spread of what's called Indo-European languages. So um, I guess most people now realize that Indo-European languages spread, right, over like a vast territory in ancient times through Europe, like all, pretty much all European languages are related. They come from that, um, like a one mother tongue called Proto-Indo-European and also the language in India, right, Um, the language of Iran. um, It even spread into Western China. They know Indo-European speakers were there. but what linguists have actually found is that the the language of, let's say, the Aztec, the Maya, and the Inca 
should also be counted as Indo-European languages. So they found so many similarities between them that they actually um, thought that they should be considered part of the Indo-European language family. So what you can see is that, um, again, this spread of the same civilization in ancient times who were, at least at that time, speaking some form of Indo-European language. Yeah. Can you explain what Indo-European means for, for in this context What for people? Yeah, sure. It's hard, so to, it's Indo, hard to visualize what. Yeah, so there's different families of languages, right? Indo-European is um, a family of languages. English is part of that language family. It's Indo-European languages are spoken by the most people in the world today, right? So they they all are thought to derive from one mother tongue that was spoken, you know, people have put forward different theories. Some think that it was spoken about 4,500 years ago in essentially southern Russia, like the Ukrainian steppes. Um, another popular theory is that it actually originated even earlier than that, um, maybe about like 9,000 BC in what is now Turkey. And that people who spoke this language, right, they migrated to different places. And as they did, their languages became unique, but they always held a lot of commonalities between them, enough that now linguists have been able to identify that they're all related to each other and that they were all derived from one ancient mother tongue. So, you know, French, Italian, Spanish, Russian, and then you've got Hindi, um, Persian, and some of the old languages that the Hittites spoke. Um, these are all Indo-European languages, and they're all related. Um, that's interesting you talk about 9,000 BC in Turkey, because that's like, uh, what, 11,000 years ago? Is that like Gobekli Tepe? Does that tie yes, into that? Yes, Gobekli Tepe time, yep. And that's like the time so, it was getting buried, or was that the time it was like rocking? I think the, um, from what I've read, the time that it was built was about 9,500 BC, which, as you're probably aware, is a very interesting and pivotal time because, right, the end of the Ice Age, they've been able to date that through Greenland ice cores, 9,700 BC. The date Plato gives for the submergence of Atlantis, around 9,600 BC. So it's right in that sort of snapshot of a few hundred years, right? And so then what we have is Gobekli Tepe emerges. I see signs there of Indo-European solar religion, Indo-European religion, and you see those motifs like, you know, of the statues. People talk about the sort of bucket-like object, right, and the sort of hand position on statues as sort of kind of pointing just the hands together below their navel, right? And then you start to see that on that motif, right, appear in Tiwanaku in Bolivia at the ancient site there on Easter Island. So we see this kind of this spread of these motifs. And what I'm saying is we also have the spread of language, right, and we also have the spread of DNA that shows, I think, that Gobekli Tepe was central to like the wisdom bringers teaching people in that region and those people spreading out and spreading civilization 
which is what I talked about earlier, the lost civilization of the sun, where they spread this this solar religion again throughout the world. Do you think that could have been as a result of some crazy cataclysm? Because we've had a bunch of people in the show like Randall Carlson that think that that, because that time you're talking about right around 11,600, 11,700 years ago is the end of the Younger Dryas, which is, you know, a lot of people are starting to think caused by a couple of big impacts into the ice sheet, which caused massive flooding, sea level rise by 400 feet, you know, maybe some isostatic depression that causes other places in the middle of the Atlantic to drop down by thousands of feet and uh, yep. and stuff like that. So you could see how those people might be worshiping the sun because they haven't seen it in a while. And, you know, and you could have generations there that haven't really fully understood how cool the sun is when it's not blocked out by a bunch of rain and this and that and the other. Yeah, so I, I mean, from my reading of like indigenous traditions and ancient texts, I absolutely think as well that there was some kind of impact right at that time. Um, and that impact is said to have wiped out the giants, essentially, mostly. So we're talking about the giants before that basically wiped them and their civilization out. I mean, there's evidence that they kind of continued and just they eventually were wiped out, I would say, by modern humans. But or they went into the woods, they went into the woods and turned into Sasquatch, maybe. <laughs> it's so interesting, isn't it? Because now Sasquatch it kind of makes sense, right? There's something and and again, like ancient texts talk about there was some kind of interbreeding event that led to these kind of um, almost like half animal giant creatures. Wow. Really? Wow. Wow. The Nephilim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like, hmm. Sorry. I I mean, I was just down in Zion again. And like, once you get that notion in your head of a shitload of water carving that stuff out and you start like, at the top of the canyon looking down at the bottom and it starts looking like the edges of a little mud puddle or a little stream. It's just on a scale that is unbelievably unimaginable. Massive. And yeah. you don't see that landscape anywhere else except for like uh, southern North America. Yeah, which is really interesting because there is a legend um, among the Comanche, right, who were in that region and they talk about how there was a race of giants who developed and a very advanced civilization, more advanced than the civilization, um, Western civilization at the time of the telling, which I think was in 18 something. And he said they were 10 foot tall and that they ranged from like the east to the west coast. And that the same essential story as Atlantis in that they become arrogant, right? And and proudful, and that the great spirit descended to earth and wiped them from it with fire and deluge. And you've so, got, yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. And you've got the copper mines you talk about. Was it copper? The copper mines, right? That, yeah. That, I mean, it seems like yep. there's evidence that a whole bunch of that minerals was transported to the Middle East yep. over the Atlantic, maybe, or something, maybe by giants, who knows? I mean. Yeah. So the copper mining, that sort of carbon dated, the sort of workings of the copper mines there. And amazingly, they stop right at 1200 BC, oh, that, right? Oh my which God. is the date we're talking about, yeah. which is the late Bronze Age collapse. And that's just when it just stops. And they've never been able to find that copper in North America. You know, 
where all the vast amounts of copper went, but there are vast amounts of copper and bronze artifacts, right, all throughout the Mediterranean, like in Egypt and Europe. So the inference is that it was transported there and when when those civilizations collapsed, they were not able to, to make the journey to sort of bring the copper back anymore. I think it's hard for people to realize because a couple of years ago when we started to get into this, I was like, really, they were sailing around. Like, it's hard to imagine that they were sailing, seafaring way back then. But you show a bunch of examples of the reed boats and all different pictures and all different uh, places and way going way, way back, right? Right. So one of the best, um, I think the best evidence or the best way to explain this is that um, there was a Norwegian Thor Heyerdahl. Oh, yeah, you got a lot of, of described Thor in the book. as like, yeah, yeah, he's a really cool guy. So he's it was described as like the greatest explorer, or one of the greatest explorers, right, in history. And what he did, um, like I think it's in the fifties into the seventies or eighties, is he actually built boats according to ancient designs. No plastic rope, right? No, no, no cheating. Everything was made using natural materials and it was based on depictions of actual ancient ships. And then he used those ships to cross the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans to prove that ancient people could do it and were doing it. And, in fact, um, what he also talks about is that there are currents in the ocean that kind of act like conveyor belts and the where that conveyor belt kind of starts right on the west coast of Africa, you just sort of get on there, you just kind of carried um, quite naturally across to Mexico in Central America. That's essentially the journey that Columbus took and that's where like the what they believe is, but I think it's older, but one of the oldest civilizations of Central America just suddenly bursts out of nowhere, which is the Olmec civilization. So it looks, um, it it just looks so obvious that ancient people left, like the Mediterranean, West Africa, and they just took the reed boat and got to Mexico, and that's where you find all these artifacts depicting African people, European people, Semitic people doing yoga. I mean, in Egyptian sort of looking headdresses. So it's it just becomes obvious what happened. Yeah. Do you think there's any evidence to suggest that any of those African people ended up in the southern North America before before the settlers got here? Yeah, I mean, um, among like the artifacts of the Olmec are just giant stone heads that look exactly like African people. I mean, they. They're just African people. They were clearly there. Um, and, in fact, the ancient texts of the Maya called the Popol Vuh talks about how their civilization was founded by black people and white people in great numbers who spoke different languages. And they painted um, very skillfully using coloured paints all the different racial types that were living there, so the native Asians, obviously European people of some kind and Africans. Wow. Remember when we talked to Hotep Jesus about thinking that there was black people here already when like the, when the colonists started showing, colonials started showing up and they were just like 
snatching them up in slaves, but they didn't want them to ever have any future claim to the land. But I'd always wondered, like, why not just do that with the Indians, too? Yeah. Say they were, like, from some other place. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but there does seem to be evidence of all sorts of people here before we were here. It's definitely oh, absolutely. not. This, what does Michael Shermer call it? What's that? Clovis first. Clovis first, yeah. Yeah, you, you have a bunch of different examples, right? It, it, of of North America being seen before. I mean, the was it the Vikings? And I mean, all kinds of cultures were here before, it seems like. It really seems like that, yeah. oh, that whole Columbus narrative is just falling apart in pieces. It's just it's just like a fairy tale, really. It's just it's something that's just become kind of romanticized and is one of the, I'd say, the great myths of our civilization. <laughs> and it is just a myth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about that? The, that were free. <laughs> That's turned out to be. Free, <laughs> <laughs> That's another one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that something, something else happened? Like I think you mentioned in your book, and we Darren's been talking about this recently about like that our history doesn't seem to go. Like when you go back 500 years, something seemed to have changed or, you know, even well, a couple like hundred years. The older just... I get, the more I do the show, it seems to change. Cause yeah. it's like, first it's like, okay, well, cause at first, you know, when I got into watched ancient aliens, like 10 years ago, before I started doing the podcast, I was never into the, like, it was the aliens thing, but it always, it always got me curious about a, an ancient civilization, like an Atlantean civilization or pre-Ice Age civilization. And and that was sort of where it ended. And then it was like, you know, that the pyramids were to them and the Sphinx was to them. But then, you know, now I got questions about Rome. And, and it starts to get weird, you know, even starting to look at that history because you look at Mussolini's in, in the 30s is excavate, excavating giant... He's digging out Rome. Well, how the... I don't see anywhere in our conventional historical timeline where Rome has time to get buried in 40 to 60 feet of debris. It just doesn't make sense. No place else gets covered in that sort of stuff. And then you've got this other weird thing that's going on in the 14 to 1700s where they're just building these magnificent cathedrals and temples. And, and you know, it's like un, uh, unmatched in, in history. And I would argue even to this day. You know, we've we've kind of regressed in a lot of ways in our building. Yeah. I mean, they they do pull off some stuff from time to time. We were we were looking at some stuff just from the world's fairs that they were doing, you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, and that shit was better than the stuff they're pulling off today. And it's just it really makes you wonder, you know, what you can trust because it really wouldn't be hard to hijack this thing at any given point. Yeah. I mean, they've been trying to convince us that it, the pyramids Khufus, you know, and I mean. There's no fucking way that that's that that's the, the the case. It's just there's it's not happening. It's it's like I don't know. I think you mentioned in your book that even Rome Rome was in there about you. You were saying lots of travel to North America until the Romans took over. It seemed to kind of yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a real transition point. So. I mean, Barry Fell, who's done a lot of research into the artifacts of North America, has just found that essentially they start to dry up after, like, the expansion of the Roman Empire. Um, so do you think there's and, a possibility that those two things could be sort of mixed up? Like, the the expansion of the Roman Empire is more like, so, like, not the Roman, so let's take the Roman Empire out of it. 
or the, the Republic, all of that. Just like, like the or let's say the Empire has stolen the Republic, maybe after some sort of a cataclysm. Like Rome itself isn't is after the fact because it just seems like I'm starting to think that Rome was something else, and it's like got taken over by a cult of. Christianity that then starts to spread out from there after some cataclysm. And those priests were good at making shit up. I mean, they were really good at scraping off parchments and doing this and doing that. And it just wouldn't surprise me for them to have, to have just invented the whole thing to, to just invented this thing to sort of, you know, start taking over the place again, which, because now that you, that turns into the Vatican. Yeah, well, look, this is something that um, I've looked into quite a lot, which is Jesus and did he really exist, right? And, um, you know, there's there's a lot that people don't know about early Christianity because, as you say, the church has done such a good job of rewriting things. Um, there are so many other texts about Jesus that were left excluded from the Bible and banned by the early church. So it's really interesting, actually, because Jesus himself, if you read these other texts that are have been essentially buried for over, um, what is it, nearly 1,700 years, they actually reveal that he was teaching things that would be considered pagan. Yeah. Right? So he was teaching things from... Um, you would find in Zoroastrianism, people have done comparisons to Hinduism, Buddhism, um, ancient Egyptian religion. So he is not, he he was, uh, has been sort of, I guess, taken over and used and portrayed in a certain way to create Christianity. But there is another real buried story um, about him and what he was actually teaching. And I think he was actually teaching mysteries of the ancient religion of the sun and spent time during his last years with groups who were who had that ancient knowledge um, and who still carried it. And he actually became part of like a priesthood. That's a whole that's a whole other, yeah. The source the sorcerer Jesus. Did he get did he get crucified then, do you think? Yeah, look, I think um, I think he did. I mean, his punishment was he was punished as a heretic and as a how you would punish a pagan in Old Testament law. That's it makes sense that he was crucified because of what he was doing and teaching. So, yeah, that's fascinating. That would be a bitch, man, getting crucified. Don't look fun. No, <clears throat> slow, painful death. Hey, um, the Colbrin, is that one of those books? I was, I've, 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 I heard about it before a couple of years ago and I forgot all about it. Yeah, the Colbrin is an absolutely amazing book, in my opinion. So, this is not an ancient text. So, this is not something that mainstream academia accepts. It was published in 1994 um, in New Zealand. Apparently, it was acquired from a man from, I think he was, from Wales, Britain, and he had been a member of like a hermetic organization and oh, yeah, right. um, a druid organization as well. And he um, handed those manuscripts over or whatever, and they published them. Um, so there's no way we don't have the original 
text, but there are people who are researching that book um, and they have found things in them that no one could possibly have known before um, 1994, right, when it was published. So there's ways to, like, um, confirm the authenticity of that book and I've come across things in it too that makes me think that that's it is a real at, at least parts of it are are some kind of real ancient text part of an ancient lineage and it was I think part of its history it says that it was actually um part of a cache of texts that were taken out of Egypt and um they were buried in different locations in the world and this is sort of one of those caches that kind of came to light and was um protect you know stored and held onto by the druids for a time was sort of taken by phoenician sailors to britain and wow yeah. supposedly a bunch of scrolls right was it a bunch of scrolls literally um or are there some of them i think uh, I, th I thought it said something about scrolls in there yeah look i I can't remember that bit, but I mean, I'm guessing. Yeah. So is, is that, yeah, actually it does talk about scrolls. You're right. Do you know yeah. if, uh, if that, so that was published, did they have the copyright on that? Do you know if it's public domain at all or? Um, I do believe it's copyright. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I've, I've been in contact with them to be able to reproduce excerpts. Oh, okay, and they're okay, yeah. really nice about it. So yeah, we'll I think they just, We'd um, I'd love to do it. They don't think there's an audio version out there. No, that's not. I think they're just really, um, they really want to make sure that the integrity of the text is yeah. maintained. But yeah, 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 they seem yeah, yeah good people. Mm. There you go. Maybe you yeah. can read it. Yeah, I'd like to, that'd be awesome to get it on audio. Don't you still got to do the Sun Lore of All Ages? Or what yeah, there's a, there's a book in the public domain called The Sun Lore of All Ages. I was going to try and read it before we had this show. But oh, yeah. Yeah, you've probably, you've probably looked through that that thing. I can't remember who wrote no, it. No, I haven't it. actually. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll let you know when it comes out on audio and you can listen to it. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Thank you. Wow. Darren, do you have any questions at all? Or this has been a great chat. Mm, yeah, this one clicks think, a few things together. I mean, it sort of fit would fit in well with Randall's stuff and and uh and Day's stuff. I I mean I'd like to get uh, I it's I like Dave's stuff because it ties into the stars a bit more, sort of the other side of it, the myths. But it would kind of make sense that you'd have the religion on one side of things and the mythology on the other. I mean, that's sort of always where it fits. And what about the moon? Did the moon come up at all in, in how that plays off of the sun? Um, the moon, not so much. But the reason is, is because, like, a lot of people think, right, that sun worship is just, you know, came about because people found the sun really important to their survival, right? So they were just basically nation worshippers and the sun's important, you know, it helps them grow their crops and whatever. But that's not what ancient texts say, right? So ancient people are very explicit about why they worship the sun and it's because it is the greatest source of light and life there is along with obviously the stars and that this light that's coming from the sun is like the physical manifestation, right, of a spiritual light that's coming from like a higher source. So what they were interested in is light and the source of it, and that source ultimately was sent to sort of reside with 
the creator who was invisible, unmanifest, unknowable, just beyond comprehension. And so what they were really interested in was the spiritual nature of light itself. So it's not just that it was an astrological body that was really, you know, kind of important to their life, but it had to do with the spiritual nature of light itself and what light actually is. And that's why, you know, ancient texts say they actually built their sites like the Sphinx, the pyramids, you know, passage mounds in Europe, pyramids of Central and South America, ancient palaces and cities in alignment with the sun so that the sun light itself came into the place of worship and could be worshipped directly. So not an image of the sun, right, not an idol of the sun, but the sun itself. And that's why we have hundreds and thousands of sites around the world that actually incorporate the sun at its major transitions into the holy place itself. And that's how we started to see that all these ancient sites were actually tied to this same, same belief. Do you think there's a war on spirituality right now? I mean, do you think that part of the reason why some of this history is hard to talk about or they don't accept it is, is that intentional? Is that because they absolutely, yeah, really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and see what a lot of, I guess, people are unaware of is that there are people who are interested in a spirituality of light, right? But there are also those who um, want to dim the sun, find a, re- find a religion <laughs> in darkness. Yeah. And that darkness hates the light because the light, if you, and this is very profound, right? How light and darkness interact with one another. Light threatens the very existence of darkness by its nature, right? If you shine a light into a darkened room. And so those who, um, whose religion is of darkness and who um, take their power from darkness are threatened by anything to do with light. And truth itself is of the nature of light, right? So there has always been this antithesis between people pursuing different paths. And it goes on behind the stage of history. Its players are often unseen. But there is this struggle, right? And you see it manifest, you know, people have seen in pop culture, for example, the promotion of things that are essentially anti-light, right? A lot of ideas that are um, anti-light, unnatural, right? And this sort of push of sort of, um, you know, people talk about it being satanic, but um, it's it's actually much deeper than that and um yeah part of wiping out the light is wiping out the history of it the history of that religion and the knowledge of it the wisdom of it and that great legacy that's basically been left to us by ancient people who had that knowledge so we we're meant to just forget about all that do you think it's it's is it is it connected to the mystery schools and the collapse uh, in the you know and the loss? So after the lost civilization, do you think that those secret societies and mystery schools are now you know it's now connected to who's kind of running the world right now, or trying yeah, so, or trying to? I guess. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, those ancient mystery schools 
they were established, according to ancient texts, like the Colbrin, in all different places in the world, right, to keep um, the knowledge of the ancient religion of the sun alive because there's actually a profound philosophy and depth of knowledge. It's not something superficial like let's just go and worship the sun, right? There's a whole knowledge of the purpose of life, what happens after death, you know, who are we, where do we come from, um, and how do we, what are we here for? Do we have like a potential to become something more than we are, right? Do we have like a, an inner, inner spiritual potential? So those mystery schools were set up to sort of preserve that knowledge because most people are kind of um, interested in a more exoteric version of the religion. So that's for a few people, right, who understand things in a greater depth or have more interest in it. Um, but over time, like, I mean, you're probably um, aware of what happened with Freemasonry, that that can get infiltrated and there are also other mystery schools of darkness. And so, yeah, that's how um, religion on both sides has worked. And a lot of the esoteric schools of the ancient religion of the sun were absolutely destroyed. And what was left over, like Freemasonry, was infiltrated. So we are, according to ancient texts in the time of the Kali Yuga, right, where it is a time of darkness, where darkness is really in control and and basically looked up to. Yeah, Hopefully. that's fascinating. I I would I would agree. I think it's yeah. I think it's all connected. And you mentioned you yeah. mentioned I think you mentioned hermeticism in there, don't you? As as uh, as part of the the better half of the like the ancient religion, the sun kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Because you know you had all these mystery schools in Egypt, and um, they kind of survived underground and were their knowledge was preserved and sort of reemerged. Um, you know, at different times in Europe, for example, a lot of that knowledge was sort of passed on secretly. So, yeah, and then you have books like The Colbrin, which has a lot of these this ancient knowledge in it, and that emerges from, you know, a Druidic organisation in Britain having books that are supposedly, like, I mean, really, really old, right, from Egypt. So that's what I'm saying, that there has been like a lineage, like a passing of this yeah. knowledge over yeah. time. But you can see where it's ended up where essentially that Druidic organization in Britain is just kind of faded away and petered out. And we just thankfully have the text. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what, what do you think is going to happen in the future and the near future from a spiritual perspective? I mean, are we entering the, you know, the age of Aquarius or the, or that part of the Kali Yuga where it stays dark or is there an awakening? What's your thought from a spiritual context? Well, from reading the ancient texts, um, Basically, they talk really almost unanimously, right, of a coming um, cataclysm where, you know, humanity will reach this kind of level of evil and then the cataclysm is to come and sort of essentially wipe reset out most of humanity and just like reset the earth. And they talk about how there are these cycles of catastrophe, right, that they do come as like um, like a reset button, if you will, like a really f- quite famous 
um, prophecy is with the Hopi, and and they talk in very clear terms, right? They preserve a tradition which they say is, you know, maybe as old as ten thousand BC, like twelve thousand years old or more, right? And they talk about these um, cycles of civilization, and they do say that we are in the lowest kind of era of civilization and that there is going to be a purification time they talk about the signs you know that lead up to that purification time and it's quite uncanny a lot of them yeah are sort of coming true and um they believe that there'll be some kind of cataclysm and that um it will essentially clean the slate for people to start over again do you do do you do anything (laughs) don't say it don't say it do you do you do anything like like not to get personal or anything like that? But do you have a spiritual practice that would um, protect you or keep you uh, at a higher vibration or you know like would, do you have any advice for people? Because it's 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 hard to hard to stay aware about that and yet not be black pill yeah. or, or not or not be attached to the negativity from it. You know how do we how do we watch that? How do we see that without becoming part of it or without manifesting it? You know. Yeah, I think it's um I think it's just really important to focus. I mean, this is what I do, but focus on your own um your own journey essentially and what you're here to do. So, you know, we obviously have no control over what other people do. Everyone's making their own choices, right? Essentially, we all have free will. I know, you know, there are controls placed on us and so on, but we we essentially have free will and you know people are making their own decisions and we need to make ours and need to see what is it that we need to do right personally what are we here to do and um you know from that perspective then it's really focusing on okay where do i need to get to what do i need to change you know what do i need to become and um, essentially that's at the heart of the religion of the sun is that personal transformation. And that really seems like um, it really seems like the most important thing to do because, um, you know, time is running out according to ancient prophecies. I mean, maybe it's hundreds of years away. I don't know. But, Yeah. We have to make use of the time that we have. Awesome. I agree. Where can our listeners track you down uh, if they want to find more of your stuff? Um, I have a website, sacrosarwell.com, and that's the same name as the YouTube channel. So, um, yep, sacrosarwell. Um I don't know if you need me to are spell you on that. Twitter as well? <laughs> no, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's, yeah. Okay, are cool. you on Twitter too? Sorry. Are you on Twitter as well? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Sacrosarwell. Yep, yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, this has I been think a that's where I tracked chat, you down man. on Twitter while I was banned still, but I got back. I'm back. Oh, I'm yeah. back on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, for now. It won't last. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. But I have a backup plan. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, I like, I mean, I really recommend your book. It's like one of my favorite parts about this is just being able to meet people like yourself that have written these awesome books and I get to read the books and, and they fit right in. Like it fits right in with all the stuff we've been talking about lately on different shows. And, and it just really sort of puts it all into 
a coherent Ooh, narrative. Ooh, and I even, I love the chapter how you just, you guys put yourself out there and you speculate on, on this whole thing in a summary chapter. I like that. You know, you're willing to sort of put what you think is going on instead of just staying sort of neutral about it, you know? Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, like you re- never really can make sense of it all, you know, it just, and I suppose that was part of the things that always kind of frustrated me a bit about ancient history is that a lot of these things have just remained questions, but I think, yeah, we just need to dig down and find the answers. So yeah, kind of keep at it. And yeah. I think part of it is, is you don't, you didn't go about that with the goal in mind. So you're sort of entering it with an open mind and just seeing where it all led you, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Total shock, total surprise. Like I remember, yeah, just having what I call like a Truman Show moment <laughs> where you just kind of see, you know, a lot of the puzzles, puzzle pieces that you've been looking at just kind of all of a sudden click into place. And I haven't looked the same at ancient history since. Yeah, totally yeah. mind-blowing. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Lara. We'll have to uh, do this again one day. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That, that, let us know when, Yeah, let us know when your next book comes out. I will. Okay. Thank you. All right. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye. And that was a chat with Lara. What'd you think, buddy? Oh, Lara Atwood. Lara. 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 Oh, now see, I can't now remember. You can't do now it. you. See? It's contagious. I, I know. My mispronunciations. Sounds is contagious. contagious. You should. You should hear the mispronunciations in the esoteric structure of the alphabet book. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 That's okay. Did you get your? I haven't looked at the reviews. Have you? No, I don't. I try not to look at the reviews. No, I got some good reviews to start on the on the secret uh, doctrine, which is out. That's right. Yeah, secret teachings is Search coming out. So just while we're on while we're on the uh, while we're on the audiobook topic, adultbrain.ca. Yeah, adultbrain. Yeah, no, this was a fun chat, man, and it's a good book. This will be in the studio for reference. It's got the giants, the haplogroups, the ancient pew, pew, uh, that came to the peel box. Yeah. That's good. All right, guys. Uh, big thanks to Lara for coming on the show. Lara, Lara, oh, oh. Now I can't remember. Is it supposed to be Lara? Lara. Lara. Like the Tomb Raider? Just think of... Uh, Lara Croft? No. Like the Australian way to say it. Lara. Uh, <laughs> uh Big thanks to you guys for listening. Extra big thanks if you're one of those who choose to be one of our Value for Values supporters over at America.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly or do a one-time donation. One of those funky things helps us keep going around here. Remember, it's not a free podcast. It's a value-for-value podcast. If you're getting some value from the show, send some value back our way. GrowAmerica.ca slash support. You can help out the show a bunch of ways. Don't cost you nothing. You can spam gram, grammaramerica.com. You can tell your friends about the show. You can review the show wherever you listen. You can rate the show. You can share the show. You can buy some cool swag, america.ca slash swag. We got masks and shirts and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, you can check out our other pro- other shows, grimericaoutlaw.ca, uh, where we talk about more controversial stuff. Or you can check out rockfin.com slash grimerica, where we do a bunch of video stuff, fun stuff over there. We just did a series on climate change. You can check that stuff out. Do all that stuff because it's important. Yep. We love you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Who's going to kill this sacred cow? You were never political, anyhow. Since when did you start trusting in the government? Since 
When was it okay to ridicule and shame your neighbor? Your opinions have become, your opinions have become as fickle as artificial flavors. What matters most to you? What the TV host told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north or true? Who's gonna kill this sacred cow? You were never religious anyhow. Since when did you kiss the ring on the hand of the Pope? Since when do we need pharmaceuticals to cope? Your soul has become, ever-loving soul has become, as brittle as communion wafers. What matters most to you? What the Holy Ghost told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north, oh true. I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill this sacred cow. Bureaucrats think I'm non-essential anyhow. Since when has our culture become so lowbrow? It's all touchscreens, and nobody has any know-how. Your idea of fun, your idea of fun, is taking a thousand and one photos of your duck face. Matters most to you. What the celebrity's post told you was cool Or a moral compass that points true north, oh true I'm gonna kill this sacred cow I'm gonna kill your sacred cow I'm gonna kill your sacred cow I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill your sacred cow. I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill your sacred cow. I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill your sacred cow. I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill your sacred cow. Sacred cow. I'm gonna kill. I'm gonna kill. I'm gonna kill your sacred cow.